Hey guys, it's Michael Miller. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of Dallas Podcast. You are going to be highly, highly encouraged. Rabbi Jason gives us two incredible teachings. Uh, in the AM, we talked about Boaz and Ruth and their relationship and its significance today. Jew Gentile, Jew Arab relationships, unity, oneness, the vow Naomi makes to Ruth, the relationship Ruth has with Boaz is a prophetic picture for today. He unpacks thoroughly the Israeli Arab conflict happening at the current time uh, between Jerusalem, Israel, the West Bank, uh, Gaza Strip, the Palestinians. Um, you'll be highly informed in how to pray and I think encouraged with uh, what the Lord is up to second sermon is on pentecost uh, we devote an entire time talking about the significance of pentecost he looks back at the historical context and uh the giving of the torah the giving of the law and how that connects to acts 2 from exodus 19 to acts 2 and put your seatbelt on these teachings are world class i just praise god for rabbi jason relationship with him. So enjoy. Am I on now? All right. There you go. I thought I was off now. Okay. So the traditional greeting on Jewish holidays, you gotta say with me, it is Chag Sameach. But listen, you gotta get the ha in there unless you're wishing someone a happy pig, right? You don't wish them a Chag Sameach, not kosher. Chag Sameach. So say Chag Sameach. All right. So I'm excited to be able to share with you a little bit tonight. This is such a significant time. I believe that it's important that we understand and come into alignment with the times and the seasons. The biblical holidays are called God's appointed times. And it's so significant. The Hebrew word for that is moedim. Can you say moedim? It's from the same word. When Moses went to meet with God, it was called the Ohel Moed, the tent of meeting. The same word for the holidays, appointment or meetings. These are God's appointed times of meeting. And the re part of the connection between the place where Moses met with God, the Hebrew word connected to this biblical holiday, is that the biblical holidays are meant to create a tent in time. And when we enter into it, we encounter God, his glory, and his presence in new ways. So were you guys ready to enter in tonight? Yes. Such a significant season. This, as you know, is the time, Acts chapter 2, the disciples had been fasting and praying. They said to the Lord, is now the time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Yeshua, Jesus' response is, it's not for you to know the days or the hour that the Father has put under his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses to Judea, Samaria, Samaria and the ends of the earth. And part of what we see here is that the disciples desired the 
kingdom and that by desiring the kingdom, God blessed them with the gift of the Holy Spirit. To desire the kingdom is to desire the spirit. To desire the kingdom is for the king to come pour out his spirit on your life. And we understand the significance of Acts chapter two, but what I'm hoping here this evening is that we're gonna understand that there is more to the story. You know, I'll never forget, I went out one year before the Super Bowl, bought a high-definition television. Everyone's like, it's going to change the way you watch the Super Bowl. I watched the whole game. I'm like, ah, this isn't so great. At the end of the game, I'm flipping through the channels, and I'm getting to the higher channels, and I have a revelation. The higher channels were the high-definition channels. I watched the whole game in standard definition because I didn't know the difference. I'm like, wow, this really does make a difference. Let me tell you, a lot of people are reading the Bible in standard definition. The Lord wants us to see it in high def. And you begin to see it in high definition when you understand how the old and the new connect because it makes it come alive. Friends, I think you're going to understand some things tonight. We're going to understand something that maybe we haven't seen before. And so what we have to understand is this is such a significant time. Honestly, a lot of churches don't do anything for Pentecost. I don't get it. And I'm blessed, right? I'm in the upper room on Pentecost. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Where would you rather be? All right, maybe the upper room in Jerusalem. But since we can't be there, next best place right here. And this is so important to me this day. Because I didn't grow up knowing the power of the Holy Spirit. I grew up in a traditional Jewish family. You know, Jews are people of the book, we're into studying, but I had to go on a journey, ultimately encountered Yeshua Jesus supernaturally. Then one day I get a call from a friend. He says, Jason, I wanna invite you to this conference on healing. And I'm like, wow, that's awesome. Come on, I'll come because listen, I came to faith. I went to Bible college. I went to seminary. I studied in yeshiva, very academic, very intellectual, very word-centered, but not very spirit-focused. And one of the first things that happens after I came to faith is that I got in, I got a call from a homeless friend from New York City who needed to have both legs amputated, sleeping outside because of frostbite. I went and saw him in the hospital. I'm literally like maybe a week or two, week in the Lord. I just read the book of Acts. I know, it says God heals people, right? Miracles, Pentecost. I went and laid hands on him. I said, silver and gold have I none, but I have in the name of Yeshua Jesus, rise, take up your bed and walk. He got healed, he came to faith, and he walked out of the hospital. God is good. But then I went and got an education. And it was a good thing in many ways. But that was never it wasn't nurtured, it wasn't fully activated. So I go to this conference on healing, the speaker during the break lays hands on me and he says, you'll wear many mantles like Joseph. That speaker was Bill Johnson. 
God encounters me in that conference and he says, Jason, don't settle for a form of godliness that lacks power. You'll never impact the world. And we shared this morning, this John 21 season that we're in where Yeshua, Jesus had cast the nets again on the right side of the boat and there was this great catch of fish. That moment is now the greatest catch of fish that God is ever gonna bring is going to come in this season, I believe, of our lives. In this generation, you're a part of it. This is unto that. We talked about how casting the nets on the right side of the boat, the right side is the side of love. We get a fish from a place of love. But one of the things the Lord told me is that the great revival that's coming is not rooted in fear. It's rooted in love with supernatural manifestations of God's love through healing and transformation. Began to pray for people and began to see miracles. That's the power of Pentecost that the Lord wants to release in our lives. But there is more to the story. You can't understand the fullness of what God has done at Pentecost if you don't understand it in the context of the Jewish Old Testament roots of the faith because Pentecost is not its biblical name originally. Pentecost is not a New Testament holiday. Pentecost is an Old Testament, a Hebrew Bible holiday found in Leviticus 23 called Shavuot. Can you say Shavuot? Shavuot means weeks in the New Testament. It gets translated into Greek. Pentecost means 50. Why 50? Because beginning on the second day of Passover, you were to count 50 days to Pentecost. Friends, every major event in the life of Jesus happened on a biblical holiday. He died as the Passover lamb. He rose from the dead on first fruits, the day that you begin the 50-day countdown to Pentecost, and he poured out his spirit on Pentecost. And this connects Pentecost and Passover, as we'll see in a moment. But one of the things we have to see here is one of the main symbols of Pentecost is the two loaves, the shtelechem. The reason is that the, at the first fruits, on the second day of Passover, the first fruits of the barley harvest were given to the Lord. And then 50 days later, in the house of God in Jerusalem, they'd offer in the temple two loaves of leavened white bread that would be waved before the Lord. The only time leavened loaves were offered in the temple. Why are these such important symbols of Shavuot? Leviticus 23, 17, two loaves of new grain to the Lord. What is the deeper meaning? The deeper meaning of these two loaves, there's so much in these two loaves. But the first thing about these two loaves that I want to share with you is that they refer to two amazing gifts God gave on this day at this time. The one you know, Acts chapter two, the what? Holy Spirit in Hebrew, say Ruach HaKodesh. Ruach HaKodesh, you're speaking Hebrew, you're speaking Hebrew tongues. Holy Spirit. But God gave another gift thousands of years earlier on the same day. This is the day that he comes down 
on Mount Sinai, Exodus 19 and 20, and he speaks to the millions of the children of Israel that came out of Egypt. He speaks the Ten Commandments and he gives the Torah on this day. Why is that so important? The Word of God and the Spirit of God were both given on this day. Why? Think about it for a moment. How did God create the world? The Spirit of God was hovering over the what? The waters, over the face of the deep, over the chaos. And then God did what? He spoke and the world came to being. God created the world by His Word and by His Spirit. And in the same way, new creation comes by His Word and by His Spirit. God's creative power and potential is released through the Word of God and the Spirit of God. That's part of the reason why the gospel has to be it says proclaimed, speak the gospel, because just like God spoke the world into existence, we have to proclaim and sing out loud to bring about the new creation transformation that we have in Him. Turn to someone and say, you're a new creation. Turn to someone and say, the old is passing away. Say, the new is coming. So guys, when we celebrate Easter, we're celebrating what biblical holiday? Passover, he dies as the what? Passover lamb. But we, ha we make a, we, it's, it's a big deal for us, right? But listen, people don't get this. Passover is incomplete without Pentecost. Passover is incomplete without Pentecost. Passover, if it's summarized by one word, it's redemption. Say redemption. Yes. And if you want to summarize Pentecost, one word, say revelation. revelation. We have to understand is that redemption without revelation leads to regression back into slavery. Redemption without revelation, say that, redemption without revelation leads to regression back into slavery. God physically freed the children of Israel at Passover. He took the children of Israel out of Egypt, but guess what? It took a whole lot longer to bring Egypt out of the children of Israel. A whole generation died in the wilderness because although they were physically free, they still had the bondage of Egypt within them. See, it wasn't enough for God. This Passover is known as the Manchi Retainer, the time of our freedom. But let me tell you what, you weren't set free just to be free. You were set free to have a relationship with the King of Kings. You were set free to give you a holy calling and a purpose to be part of his royal priesthood. See, just because Israel was free to really be transformed, identity is destiny. They had to understand their true calling. At Mount Sinai, God says to Israel, that's what he says to them, you're to be my holy priesthood and my royal nation. See, it's for example, when, this is like a big problem, right? When someone is incarcerated and they're let out of prison, a high percentage go back to what? 
Recidivism, go back to prison. Why? Because if you're just set free, but you're, and you're not transformed and you don't have a new purpose, a new reason, a new community, a new power within you to do different, you're gonna end up worse than before. So redemption needs revelation because ultimately it's redemption with revelation that begins to transform us because that's what brings mission and mission brings meaning and it transforms our life. So between redemption and revelation, there was this 40-day count which God was transforming the people, shaping them. This period is kind of like the time a butterfly is in a cocoon and God is transforming it from a caterpillar into a butterfly. That's what this period is. They came out of Egypt, a caterpillar, and God was transforming them into a butterfly. Turn to someone and say, you're going from a caterpillar to a butterfly. But listen, the butterfly, the caterpillar, when it becomes a butterfly, ultimately has to come out of the what? Israel didn't want to come out of the cocoon. They kept wanting to go back to Egypt. Turn to someone and say, it's time to come out of the cocoon. This is the time where God is empowering you to break forth from the cocoon like he broke Israel out of Egypt. This is the time that God poured out his spirit. He gave the Ten Commandments. And there's actually a connection between these two. Listen, only two things have the spirit of God in them. The soul of man, he breathed the breath of life. And in the New Testament, for those who believe, puts his spirit within us. And the word of God, Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy, all scripture is what God breathed. It contains the breath of God, the spirit of God, in the word of God. That's why the, spirit, the soul of man and the word of God is eternal because it comes from God's breath. When we get in the word, we're allowing God to rebreathe into us. The breath of God is entering us just like he breathed into Adam and Eve in the garden. He's breathing into us when we take in his word. Part of getting more of the spirit is getting more of his word, which is God breathed in us. But I want to talk about what happened at Sinai because these two lows represent the gift of God's word, the gift of his spirit, but they also represent something else. At Mount Sinai, Moses received ultimately how many tablets? Two tablets of the covenant. Why two tablets? Why didn't God write the 10 commandments on one tablets? Why two tablets? There's something significant here. Because the first tablet contained commandments that related to God, between God and man. The second tablet contained commandments that related between man and man. Don't covet, you know, don't kill, don't steal, don't, don't swear falsely. It's between individuals. 
That's why when Yeshua comes and he's asked, what is the greatest commandments? He says, what? Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. He's summarizing each of the two commandments God gave Moses on Mount Sinai. So the first tablet has to do with a vertical relationship between us and God. The second tablet has to do with horizontal. It has to do between man and man. Listen, when Jesus dies on the cross, part of what that represents is this. Jesus is pinned at the center of the cross. Why? Because he dies at the intersection of love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. His hands stretched out. Love your neighbor as yourself. To the thief, today you'll be with me in paradise. And like this, reconnecting heaven and earth, the love of God, and demonstrating what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. That is the cross. Love is the foundation. But there's more. We're going to tie in what we began this morning, but didn't have time to compete. Complete John 21, the great revival rooted in love. And the question that we have to ask ourselves tonight is the question that Jesus asked Peter, preparing him for Pentecost. He says to him, Peter, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? Are these the nets? Are these the other disciples? We don't know. But this passage saved me for ministry. Because I was going through a hard time and I wanted to quit. And the Lord brought me to John 21 and he said to me, Jason, I didn't say if the sheep are grateful, feed them like I said to Peter. He said, I didn't say if the sheep are nice, tend them. He said, Jason, I said one thing. I said, if you love me, Peter, feed my sheep and tend my flock. There's only one motivation for serving the Lord. It's not to be on the platform. It's not to make a name. It's not for our personal glory. It's not because we want other people to see how great or value us. It's not for a feeling that we get from doing it. It's if we love him. And if we lose that love, we lose it all. That's why I love the upper room and the focus on putting the first commandment in the first place to love the Lord your God. Friends, what do we really love? What do we really love? What is our real motivation? So the Lord gives these two tablets because ultimately they're to summarize the two great loves that culminate in the cross. No greater love than this, than a man lays down his life for his friend. God only created the world for one reason. It was love. Love, like why do people want to have children? Because when you love, when you are in love, you want to share that with everyone. 
God is love. He made us because he wants to share who he is with us. And he gives these two tablets and on these tablets are written how many commandments? 10 commandments. I like the number 11. Why didn't God give 11 commandments? 12 commandments. Why does he give 10 commandments? Listen, if he, God is very, God is all in the details. If he gave 10 commandments on this day, you better believe there was a reason why he gave 10 commandments. We have to understand is when you look at Genesis chapter one, God speaks 10 times when he creates the world. Creation is connected to 10. How many plagues does God bring upon Egypt? 10. And how many commandments at Mount Sinai? 10 creation, 10 redemption, 10 revelation. There is a connection between the three. God creates the world by his word. He says he holds all things together by his what? By his word. Listen, I talk a lot, if you listen to me, about numbers. And Hebrew and Greek are both alphanumeric. We talked about this morning how 13 is the number of love. 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter. And all these things connected to the number 13 a little bit, right? So Hebrew is alphanumeric. Why is that important? It's important because like today, there's a lot of people who diss the Bible academically. God couldn't have spoke the world into existence. We live in a scientific universe. The ancients were not smart. They didn't get it. They, they just created this myth. Well, listen, God creates heaven and earth. His word is the spiritual blueprint of the spiritual reality in which we live. But if numbers and letters are interchangeable, when God was speaking, he was also creating the mathematical code of creation by his word. God spoke, it's the matrix. When God creates, he creates the code of creation. It's the spiritual code, which is the word of God and the written and the, and, the, and, the, and the physical code of creation of the science, the, the uh, mathematical code of creation because we live in a mathematical universe. So why is that important? It's important because God's word is woven into creation, both in the spiritual and in the material. When Pharaoh breaks the Ten Commandments, you know what it is? It's an undoing of creation. God brought light, now there's darkness. God brought life, now there's death. God put the fear of animals, fear of man into animals, and now the animals are attacking people. It's an undoing of creation because the world existed in a state of chaos, formlessness and void. The word and spirit brought order out of chaos, when you disobey the word of God, what does it do? It brings chaos out of order because his word is woven into creation. It breaks everything down. That's what Pharaoh experienced in Egypt. Would you say that again, please? Okay, <laughs> yes. When Pharaoh, if God's word is woven into creation, when you break the word, it's like you introduce a virus into the system. 
When you break the word of God, it brings chaos instead of order. Because there was chaos in the beginning, God spoke and order came out of chaos. Well, if you disobey God's word and don't take it seriously, and his word undergirds physical aspect of creation and spiritual aspect of creation, what happens? You get chaos. It's an undoing. That's why when man sinned in the garden, it wasn't just physical death. All of the physical world was affected through the fall because we broke the code of creation. When you take, so listen, in Hebrew, there's one letter difference between exile and redemption. It's the letter Aleph, say Aleph. Aleph is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Most of the divine names begin with the letter Aleph. Elohim, Adonai. Lots of other ones. It's a number, it has a numerical value of one. So what's the significance there? There's one letter difference between exile and redemption because when you take God out of the equation, what are you left with? Exile. When we take God out of our lives, when we take God out of our schools, when we don't take the Ten Commandments, which is the foundation, seriously, what happens? Our world, our system, and our life goes to a state of chaos and void. You don't have to even, it does, listen, I can tell you I don't believe in gravity. If I walk off the roof, gravity wins. <laughs> you can say you don't believe in the spiritual principles. It doesn't make a difference. They are what they are. They're interwoven into the fabric of creation. When you choose to break them, you will be broken by them. So, the, so we have to understand because we need to bring God's word. We invite God. We need to invite God back in by his word and his spirit. And what we have to understand is that the fullness of his word is twofold. It is old and new. That's why it says the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any what? Two, why is it a two-edged sword? The sword is new and old. Some of us have dull swords because we only know the new or we only know the old. If you want to have a sharp sword ready for action, it's got to be, it's got to be on both sides. And this is John, this is connected to John 21. Cast the nets again on the right side of the boat and they catch how many fish? 153 fish. Did you ever wonder why 153 fish? If the Lord, there's a lot of reasons, we're not gonna get into all, but if the, if the Bible says 153, it is there for a reason. Matthew 13, 52 says this. Then he said to them, therefore every Torah scholar, every scribe, which is a Torah scholar, discipled for the kingdom of heaven is like the master of a household who brings forth out of his treasures things new and old. Friends, if we wanna be a scribe for the kingdom, it's treasures new and old. Listen, I'm gonna tell you, most believers, I think, most people settle for half an inheritance. Jews settle for the old, and Christians settle for the new. I've literally heard some people that you would know say, we just need the New Testament. Or like, for example, we're a New Testament church. What does that mean? You get rid of the Old Testament? 
The full revelation is old and new. Turn to someone and say, don't settle for half an inheritance. But here's the question. How could Jesus call his disciples Torah scholars for the kingdom? The book of Acts says they were ignorant and unlearned individuals. How did that, how did, the Torah scholars spend years of study, right? In the first century, well, to this day, Jewish people read through the five books of Moses consecutively. Today we read from Genesis to Deuteronomy in one year, but in the first century, they read it over three and a half years. So two years in the sabbatical cycle, right? Every seven years, six years, anyway. Over two, three and a half years, they read the five books of Moses. And guess how many portions it was broken up into? 153. Part of the significance of the 153, why Jesus can call his disciples scribes for the kingdom is because over three and a half years, you would read it every week. How long did Jesus' ministry last? Three and a half years. Every week he taught them from Genesis to Deuteronomy and revealed to them the mysteries of the Torah so that they could be scribes for the kingdom. The Hebrew word lima'oz, to give strength, equals 153. The Lord is good and gives strength. Why is that significant also, 153? Because God's word strengthens us. When Jesus was tested by the devil in the wilderness, do you know what he quotes? Deuteronomy three times, the Torah. The word of God gave him the ability to overcome the test that he went through. And we need to know the old and the new, the double-edged sword to be able to overcome and have victory in him. These two also symbolize something more. God, Moses brought down two tablets, but also he got two sets. When he came down with the first set, he saw the people committing what? Sin of the golden calf. And what did he do? Smash the tablets. He goes up, he comes down, he brings down a second set. It's symbolic of God's forgiveness and second chances. But the question is, the first set of tablets were written by the finger of God. You don't throw away something written by the finger of God. So what did they do with the broken tablets? Jewish tradition says they put the broken tablets in the ark along with the whole tablets. And every time the ark would move, they'd hear the rumbling of the broken tablets. What does this teach us? Wholeness comes out of brokenness. You'll never be made whole until you're broken. And nothing is as whole as a broken heart. God only uses broken people. God has to break you before he makes you. It goes back to creation. God created the world out of what? Nothing. You have to become nothing before you become something. You have to become broken before you be made whole. Turn to someone and say, God is bringing wholeness out of your brokenness. Turn to someone and say, God is bringing blessing out of your brokenness. 
friends, don't be ashamed of your brokenness. God only uses broken people. God only uses broken things. God doesn't throw away the broken. He doesn't throw, we throw away broken things. God doesn't throw away the broken. Don't trust a leader who doesn't walk with a limp. Don't trust the leader that doesn't walk with the limp. An unbroken leader is a dangerous leader. This is John 21. Peter is meant to be the rock, but Peter winds up doing what? The moment he's supposed to be the rock, he does what? He denies the Lord. John 21, I want you to see this, is a flashback scene to every major event in the life of Peter. The disciples are, John 21, the disciples are fishing all night. Jesus cast the net again on the right side of the boat. Listen, what happened when Jesus, Yeshua, first called Peter? They were fishing all night in what? Caught nothing, and Yeshua said, cast the net again. He brought him back to the first moment of calling an encounter. Peter, remember when I met you on this day? It was just like this. Then he has the miraculous catch of fish. And Yeshua has bread and fish waiting for them on the shore. It ties back to the miracle of the multiplication of the bread and the fish. I love taking people to Israel. I love when we went to Israel together, Michael. And the miracle of the bread and the fish happens at the same spot where Peter is recommissioned by the Lord. Why? Because Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, listen, you think I'm not gonna provide for you just because you messed up? Don't you remember the first time I met you? Boom, fish. Don't you remember not enough for everyone? Bread and fish. By the way, we talk about it in our new book, Mysteries of Messiah, showing us the greater Moses. Moses multiplied the bread. Jesus multiplies the bread and the fish. They're in the wilderness, just like Israel was in the wilderness. He takes them to that moment of miraculous provision. Peter, trust. Don't be afraid. Then he catches 153 fish. Listen, 153 fish is also connected to Peter's high point. What was Peter's high point? When Peter, when, when Peter made the what? The great what? The great confession. When Jesus asked, who do you say that I what? Who do you say that I am? And Peter was the one who got it. You're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. Simon, son of Jonah. You're the rock. And upon this rock, I'll build my church. Peter, who was supposed to be a rock, now feels like a pebble. He blew it. Well, guess what? The numerical value of the phrase, I and the Lord your God in Hebrew, and ni Adonai Lechecha, equals 153. It ties back to Peter's confession. Sons of God equals 153. Peter, you're going to raise up sons of God. I am faithful equals 153. Peter, you weren't faithful, but I'm faithful. But there's more. If you don't believe the numbers, believe this. There's only two places in the New Testament where Peter is called son of Jonah. John 21 and on the mount where he confesses that confession 
He says, Simon, son of Jonah, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. They're connected. Listen to the irony. Simon, son of Jonah. Why does he... Why does he bring that name up in this context of John 21? Because Jonah is the one who denied the Lord just like Peter denied the Lord but was given a second chance. Then he says to him three times, do you what? It's taking him to the lowest moment. What time of day is Jesus interacting with them? It's what? Daybreak. And Jesus is standing over a what? Fire with smoke coming off it. What time was it when Peter denied Jesus for the third time? Daybreak over a fire with smoke coming off it. It's the same scene being set. Three times do you love me because Peter denies him three times. He's saying to Peter, look, you denied me three times, but this time, next time when you're given the opportunity, will you love me with all your heart, soul, and strength? And ultimately, Peter does. He's martyred upside down. But Peter's transformed because on Pentecost, Peter goes from denying the Lord into Jerusalem to proclaiming the gospel, to seeing revival. He's opening, the, he's given the keys to the kingdom. He's bringing revival to Israel. And then a little bit later, John chapter 10, Acts chapter 10, Cornelius, salvation to the Gentiles, just like Jonah, the only prophet to bring salvation to a Gentile nation as a nation, right? And guess what? But where Jonah fled from the Lord, does anybody know what city it was? Joppa, the same city Peter was in when he got the revelation to go preach the gospel to Cornelius the Gentile. God is saying to Peter, listen, I'm giving you a second chance. Like the broken tablets, Peter was broken but God brought wholeness out of his broken, and because he was a broken leader, God could use him. The rumbling of the broken pieces in the ark is meant to, it gives us a message. One, it says, listen, give the Lord the broken pieces of your life the broken dreams, the broken hopes, the broken relationships, the broken expectations, your broken physical body. Give him the broken because he can bring wholeness out of your brokenness. Will you give it to him tonight? And reminds us of Jesus, the two sets of tablets. At his first coming, Jesus was broken like the first set of tablets. At his second coming, he's going to bring wholeness and transformation to our world. Amen? We live in a broken world. That's the reality, but it's not the finality. Wholeness is coming. I'm running out of time here. But I want to get into the book of Acts real quickly, right? Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 2. 
When the day of Shavuot, Pentecost had come, they were gathered together in one place and suddenly there came a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting and tongues like fire spreading out appeared to them and settled on each one of them. They were filled with the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them to speak out. The first thing we see on the day of Pentecost is that they were gathered together in one place in one accord. What does this tell us? Unity is foundational to receiving the fullness of his presence, power, and provision. But what we have to understand is you can't understand Acts 2 unless you understand Acts 2 is actually a reenactment of Mount Sinai. Everything that happens, and a lot of what happens in Acts 2 is reenacting what? It's a second Sinai experience. So even the unity. So Exodus 19, which begins the Sinai count, says this, they set out from Rephidim and they came to the wilderness of Sinai and they encamped there in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain. Now you won't see this in the English, but there's something unusual in the Hebrew. It uses the word camp two times in the same sentence. The first time it uses the Hebrew word for camp, it's in the plural. And the second time it uses it, it's in the singular. That's breaking grammar. You can't use a singular and a plural for the same verb in the same sentence. It's either one or the other. So why does God have grammar being broken? Is God bad at grammar? <laughs> no, of course not, right? It's because when Israel got to Sinai, they were disunified. They had a slave mentality. They had come out of Egypt. There was quarreling and bickering among them. But then they went from the singular to the plural because God unified them. Our rabbis say like one man with one heart. Does that sound familiar? That's book of Acts language. Because God's presence, power, and provision is proportional to the unity of his people. And we saw this. I shared this morning about the call Detroit 11, 11, 11, where I gave this message about Ruth and Boaz, Jew and Gentile, unity coming together. Okay. But what I didn't tell you, what I forgot to share is that after I gave that message, unbeknownst to me, a guy comes up and takes the microphone and he says, I came to this country as a terrorist. I'm a Lebanese in background. I was a Muslim. I came as America to, as a terrorist, but I encountered Jesus. He opened my eyes. He saved me. I hated the Jewish people. He got down on one knee and asked for forgiveness. I got down on one knee. There was this moment of reconciliation of the sons of Isaac and the sons of Ishmael come together and the spirit of God fell on the place and it exploded. Powerful. Powerful. And the next day this girl comes up to me and she says, I'm Lebanese as well. She said, uh, Israeli soldiers hurt my family and I've hated the Jews, I've hated Israelis. She said, but now after what happened last night, I wanna ask for your forgiveness. I wanna love the Jewish people. Friends, the enemy wants to divide Jew and Gentile. He wants to divide believers in the church because he knows that when Jew and Gentile, when the body comes together, we become an un 
unstoppable force for global change and transformation. When Jew and Gentile are united in him, when Arab and Jew and Messiah, when all of us come together, that's why the enemy wants to divide us and keep us divided. Because in the book of Acts, there were two missional centers, Jerusalem and Antioch. Antioch Gentile, Jerusalem Jewish. Listen, the church has functioned as Antioch, but it's been without Jerusalem. It's been the Gentile believers without the Jewish believers. When we come together, that is the fullness of part of what's going to bring the great catch of John 21 and revival. Then we see there are these what hanging over their head in Acts chapter 2. Tongues of what? What the heck is going on? Tongues of fire? What's this stuff going on here? Listen, part of the reason why they speak in tongues, which are languages other people have to, uh, can understand, is because part of what Acts chapter 2 is connected to unity, it's a reversal of the Tower of Babel. In the days of Babel, the people were unified like there's never been unified since but they were unified for a bad purpose. They wanted to build a tower to heaven to make a name for themselves. Listen, bad unity, unity in the world is building up to make a name for yourself. Unity is the kingdom is building out, not up. Go make disciples of all nations. It's going out, not up. If you want to build up, you're doing it for your own glory. If you want to build out, you're doing it for the Lord's. So when the disciples were unified, all the people heard them. It's a reversal of Babel for the good purposes, for the kingdom purposes, for the impacting the world. But of course, there is more. The tongues of fire represents something more that the Jewish disciples would, that the Jews in Jerusalem would have understood. Listen, in the first century, most Jews spoke Aramaic. And they would read Aramaic translations of the Bible. You can see this going on in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. They actually have to translate the Hebrew scriptures, the Torah, into Aramaic for them to be able to understand it. So there's a, there was an ancient Jewish paraphrase of the five books of Moses known as the Targums. It's kind of like the living Bible, it kind of added stuff. So this is what, speaking on Exodus 19 and 20, God coming at Mount Sinai, speaking the Ten Commandments. When God speaks the Ten Commandments, this is what it says. Exodus 19, 2 in the Targum Neophyte. It says this, like torches of fire, a torch on the right and a torch of fire to the left, it flew and winged swiftly in, the, swiftly in the airs of heaven and came back returning and engraved on the tablets of the covenant in all Israel beheld it. Exodus 19 and 20, when God speaks, torches of fire like cleft wings come out of his mouth and inscribe the words, letters on the Ten Commandments. The cleft tongues over the disciples' head was a reenactment of what Israel experienced at Mount Sinai. Why is that significant? Israel broke the Ten Commandments almost immediately. Why? Because the Ten Commandments were written on external stone tablets. 
That's why God says, Jeremiah 31, 31, I will make a what? New covenant with the house of Israel, not like the one I made with their forefathers when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. And he goes, and I will write my law upon their hearts. The tongues of fire is saying, listen, in the old, they were written on tablets, but now that the spirit has come, God has written his word upon your heart. It is no longer external. It is an internal work of God. That's why you can love him with all your heart because he is in your heart and written his word on your heart. And I want us to understand quickly how radical what was happening in Acts chapter two was. They received the Holy Spirit, right? In the Old Testament, Prophet, priests, and kings were anointed with oil. The anointing with oil was symbolic of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The oil was symbolic of divine illumination, of divine empowerment. But listen, only select individuals got the Holy Spirit. Now in the book of Acts, ordinary individuals, everyone who believes is given the Holy Spirit. Not just to select, not just to select. Everyone who believes is given the Holy Spirit. And if it was given to prophet, priests, and kings, guess what it means? If you have the Holy Spirit, what's radical about it is, is that means that each and every one of you have been anointed and appointed to do the work of the kingdom like the prophets of Israel, like the priests of Israel, like the kings of Israel. You've been invited into the kingly, priestly, prophetic calling in Jesus. Turn to someone and say, you've been anointed and appointed by God. Anointed and appointed by God. When I was a kid, when I was a young kid, one of the things I would do with my grandfather when I would go to see him is he loved to watch old westerns. And one of the things that would inevitably happen in the westerns is the sheriff would be outnumbered by the bad guys. And when they they were outnumbered or they had to go after them, they had to round up a posse, what did they have to do? The, 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 the sheriff would do what? He would deputize the individuals to go after them. When the whole, so listen, when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, God is deputizing us. But you need two things, a badge and a gun. The badge represents authority the gun represents power. The bad guys had guns too, but what didn't they have? They didn't have the authority, kingdom authority. They didn't have the badge. The Holy Spirit in you means you've been anointed and appointed. He's given you the gun and a badge. He has given you power and authority to do the works of the kingdom, to go after the devil, to go after the things of this world. For, his, for it says, Jesus was made manifest in the flesh to destroy the works of the devil. He has given you power and authority to destroy the works of the enemy by giving you the double-edged sword 
the Word and the Spirit. But the question is this. Will you trust him to step into it? When God began to speak to me about healing, it was not something I was comfortable with, but God said, do it. So I did it. And I'll never forget, I was speaking this one time and I said, listen, I told the stories and I said, okay, whoever wants prayer, come forward. And this girl comes forward, she's on crutches and I'm like, Lord, high school girl believing she was an athlete, she got hurt, she was believing God was gonna heal her. I said, Lord, did you have to make the first one, this young girl on crutches? Because a lot of times you pray for people, you don't know if you get healed, but if she doesn't get healed, the first one, she's on crutches, it's obvious to everyone. I said, Lord, give me faith. <laughs> Prayed for her. She said, okay, I'm going to put down my crutches. Two friends holding her. She began to walk. She began to run. She began to do cartwheels around this thing. God healed her. Another time I go to this Messianic congregation, I said, before I can speak, can I just pray for people? The rabbi's like, okay, pray for people. This girl had muscular dystrophy, prayed for her, felt God do something, but not fully prayed for her again. The next week I get a call from the rabbi, he says, listen, this girl, she came in the next week and she had mustard just, she could barely move. She was dancing in the synagogue. I said, how is that possible? She said, the Lord healed me. Yes. Friends, I could tell you story after story, but I want to tell you this as we prepare to end this here and invite Michael up. My oldest son, Avi, when he was young, was trying out for, he was asked to try out for a movie. And they said, you did the best of all the kids, but ultimately he didn't get the part. And he was very upset. And the reason why he didn't get the part, he was like six years old at the time, or seven years old, because it was the, the, the child was playing in a flashback scene and ultimately chose for the main character, someone who has blonde hair and blue eyes. That's not my son. He couldn't play the flashback scene as a child of a kid who's blind, of the main character who's blind. But he's seven years, he doesn't get it. He's just like, I was told I did the best. It's not fair, I'm never doing anything like this again. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I said, Avi, listen, in, my, in our family, we have a value, and our value is we celebrate risk. We celebrate risk. See, the world celebrates success, but God celebrates risk. You can't, deter, you can't make the outcome of a supernatural miracle healing. Only God can. But if you want to see the miracle, the question is this. Are you going to take the risk? Are you going to take the risk to pray for that sick person? Maybe they get healed that time, and maybe they don't. Are you going to take the risk to say to someone, hey, I just want to bless you and listen for what God has to say through you to that person. Are you going to put yourself out there? Listen, I'll never forget, I was in Israel and we were doing, I give prophetic words and we do baptisms and the Lord said to me, this, this woman who you're baptizing, you need to tell her her husband's a drunk. He's an alcoholic and he sees and I'm like, Lord, you better be right on this one. And I gave her a word about what was God, God was going to do in her husband's life, and she began to cry. Her husband was an alcoholic. 
they almost got divorced, but not too long ago, God completely set him free and healed him. You want more of the Spirit? You want more of the Spirit's power? You've been anointed and you've been appointed, but here's the thing. A gun and a badge is no good if you keep it in the dresser drawer. You gotta take it out and do something with it. And that's the challenge here tonight. Now you know, we know the promise, but now we gotta step out in faith, amen? Michael. <laughs> Whatever we do, we should activate at some point. Raise your hand if your head hurts. <laughs> so good. Uh, I just want to fire a couple questions at him, and then here's where we're heading. We're going to pray for everyone to get activated tonight. We're going to just ask the Holy Spirit to come and deputize. Uh, I, I believe, do you think they were born again? in the upper room? Uh, on, on Acts, I mean, they, they received the fullness of what it meant to be born again in the upper room. They received the Holy Spirit, and yeah, in a life-changing, transformative way. That's a very good answer. Hey, you said something, you said something, you, you, you mentioned Exodus 19.20, and our Bibles don't talk about the tongues of fire, but you said... It was a certain translation. What was that? It was the ancient Aramaic translation of the Bible, which was the language of the first century Jews known as the Targums. And it describes God's tongue. It describes when God's, that what I read to you was a power, was an interpretive traditional power, uh, translation of Exodus 19. When God speaks at Mount Sinai, this translation says, fire like torches came out of his mouth and flew out of God's mouth and inscribed the words on the Ten Commandments, which is what becomes the background for what happens in Acts chapter 2 as a reenactment right. of Mount Sinai. What they experienced at Mount Sinai, the believers were experienced in even greater measures in Acts what chapter 2. Again? The Targum, T-A-R-G-U-M, Targum. Targum. Targum, which is Aramaic for translation. If, it just means translation. Two questions. If we were in a Jewish context, we're in Israel, let's say, mm. and we're waking up and it's Pentecost, what practical okay. things do we do to celebrate so that? So like, let me back up and say, like? which is important to understand, is that you wouldn't be waking up. 6 p.m. No, you wouldn't, well, it's 6 p.m., right? Well, you wouldn't be going to sleep yet. Here's the point, right? On Pentecost, Jews don't go to bed. Wait, what? Jewish people don't go to bed on Pentecost. They stay up all night and study in prayer. And the reason why they stay up and study in prayer all night is because Jewish tradition says in at Sinai, Israel fell asleep and they didn't wake up when God came down at Mount Sinai. So we never want to sleep and miss it again. This connects to the same thing in the, in the Gospels when the disciples fall asleep and can't tarry with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's a message to wake up. So the holiday is focused on prayer, worship, 
study, learning. You celebrate it by eating cheesecake and dairy. I know many of you are fasting, sorry. Because word is connected to like the milk of God's word. Decorate your home in green. And uh, you know, there's other things, but there's not elaborate rituals with study and prayer is the main thing, worship. So tonight represents the beginning, beginning. of Pentecost. Is it a, because is it a Jewish holiday? No, well, it's, it's biblically one 24-hour period. Okay. Now understand, Jewish holidays always begin in the evening because Genesis 1 says it was Erev, Erev it was evening morning. and morning the first day. So biblical days start in the evening based on Genesis, the creation account. And so it's one day in Israel, outside of Israel, it's usually two days because in ancient times they couldn't get the message out to everyone when it was. But biblically, it's one day and one day in Israel. Okay, so this is something I learned when I was in Jerusalem with Rabbi Jason. We were um, at the upper room, but when they were baptized with the Holy Spirit and the tongues of fire fell upon them, they actually left the upper room. Yeah, because that's what they were ultimately, because listen, Three times a year, all Jews went up to Jerusalem. One of those Passover, Pentecost, and Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot. So they would have been up, they would have gone up and worshiped in the temple with every, all the other Jews who had worshiped in the temple. And that's why all these people around them heard it. So, so Peter, when Peter preached the gospel for the first time, it would have been on the southern steps. It would have been most likely on the southern steps of the temple. Where people were entering where in. Where people were entering in. And that's why there were so many nationalities represented and they all heard them. Because they were making pilgrimage language. from around the world to come up to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast. How far of a run would that have been from the upper room to the southern steps? Maybe like a quarter mile? Uh, yeah, something like that. Uh, yeah. I didn't know that. Isn't that cool? I've always trying to... Why? It says in the upper room they were sitting. Any significance there? It says, when it came, it was sitting. I've always just thought it was a boring prayer meeting. <laughs> <laughs> Which is encouraging to me because I've been a part of a lot of boring prayer meetings, but God can break into those. But I'm sure there's some significant... Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, again, so they were probably praying. And listen, if it's at Pentecost, they were up the all disciples night. were up all night studying and praying. So wow. study prayer, study prayer, right? And someone was, and usually what it does, people take turns, takes turn, someone take, is taking turns, someone's teaching, others are interactively learning with them. But bib, biblically, in biblical times in the New Testament, it says Jesus went up on the mountain, sat down, and began to teach the Sermon on the Mount. When people taught, they taught sitting down, not standing up. And so they were probably studying the scriptures together as a group and praying and that's why they were seated they have been up all night they are studying together when the holy spirit comes that's amazing one more question um let me just so the point is that we have to prepare to receive the gift of the spirit and the gift of god's word you have to prepare yourself wow. and you have to desire to receive it so we've recently been talking about spiritual language um, and I see two expressions of that in Acts 2 it seems like it's a language directed towards people that they could each hear their own dialect so the tongues of fire Holy Spirit in hearts 
they're speaking languages that men hear for the gospel and communicating the gospel. But in 1 Corinthians 14, it says, if I pray in a tongue, um, which is a language unto God, it's a prayer language. So I see the horizontal language that the spirit empowers, but I also see a vertical language that is me communicating to the Lord, and I think that's the Romans 8. It talks about my mind not praying, but my spirit praying, Running and I'm so praying the perfect will of God that I don't understand what I'm praying. Um, it builds me up, it builds up my faith. And so tonight we're gonna pray for people, but from your understanding, those two expressions tied to Pentecost, any commentary on that or thought on that or? Yeah, no, I think you, I think you said it great. Like we said, Acts is a reversal of Babel which was actually physical languages being confused that created disunity. God is restoring the unity and connection between individuals. So therefore, the Greek word for tongues there is dialectikos, where we get the word dialect from. It's a known tongue. And Corinthians is glossolalia, the Greek word, which is a, a heavenly ecstatic utterances. And you know, when God gave the Torah at Mount Sinai, it was accompanied by angels. And that when God originally spoke the Ten Commandments, it was unintelligible to the people. And ultimately, Moses had to speak it. So there was a heavenly, unintelligible language that was there at Pentecost, which represents divine revelation of God to the people, which is what I think Paul is talking about. And Moses interpreted that? Moses ultimately had to speak the language to the people. Wow. The Ten Commandments to the people. And it's actually reflected in the grammar of the Ten Commandments because the first two commandments are in the first person, I am the Lord your God, and the others are in the second person, you shall not. Verse, you know, so you see actually a shift in the, the, the language right. in the text. So, so good. Okay, uh, two, two more things. One, I want to direct you when you leave. Um, Rabbi's written a book. It's called The Mysteries of the Messiah. And a lot of what we talked about is in there, um, some of it. This is what you just heard in written form. And it's not just Pentecost. It, it unpacks uh, a lot of stories you're familiar with. But as Rabbi says, wait, there's more. What you yeah, need to know is you just Listen, most Christians don't know how the Bible fits together. This goes through creation, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, out of Egypt, David, and shows how Jesus is in all of it and how it all connects. Uh, another resource is that Rabbi is um, very connected to the guys who uh, are producing The Chosen, the, the director of The Chosen. He's a, a theological voice to them, and then he does uh, The Chosen Unveiled, uh, which is a mini-series around The Chosen. How many of you have watched The Chosen? So I really encourage you to... to are, are those going to be aired... After it, the... Yeah, it's, it's on the TBN app on demand. It airs on TBN, so it's on demand on TBN. You can get it there. And is, um, it, is it per episode? Is that how you... you yeah, I, I do one, one, ep, one, yeah, one episode of Chosen Unveiled for each episode of The Chosen. Okay, which is really cool. Like, I just <laughs> think that's really profound. Um, just the impact that The Chosen is having. I mean, just it's really, really awesome. Uh, the last question is, why are we going to be neighbors in our new building? <laughs> he, he has but, a headquarters here in Dallas that's a block over from our new building. Well, bes besides the Lord connecting Jew and Gentile in Messiah, 
We also have a good friend, Jared and Becky, who are here this evening, and they're the ones who made both those buildings happen. Amen. So thank you to you guys. We, we love, love you guys. So, yeah, you guys, I think y'all have heard me share the story, but we were in Israel. Uh, I took Joel, Alyssa, and Autumn. We met him and a team in Jerusalem. We're in uh, the old city walking, and I think it was the Jewish quarters, and I'm talking to Jared next to Rabbi, and this is how we got our building, was through this relationship. So God's up to something. I told Jared, there's like, we could have met at Ascension Coffee. You know, that would have been a lot easier. Listen, it is prophetic. I believe, I'm just going to say this, that you met in Jerusalem because that's where the upper room began. Listen, I'll just say this one thing. There's always one more thing with the rabbi. Listen, why does it say you shall be witnesses from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. It's because this is a prophetic fulfillment of Isaiah. It says, The Torah will go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So there's something prophetic about you meeting in the city of the upper room, the promise of the word going forth from Jerusalem and this center being birthed out of a relationship that was made in Jerusalem, Jerusalem during your time in Jerusalem that has now led to God also putting on your heart simultaneously, not only a center in Dallas, but something in, in Israel and Jerusalem. Yeah. It's something prophetic about it going yeah. forth it had to start, it, this had to happen there because it has to go forth from there prophetically. There's something significant about that. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> My brain is just boiling right now. I like, it's mush. I need some aspirin. I love you. I love you too, man. Hey, Miriam's here. This is uh, Rabbi's wife. Would you stand up, Miriam? She's beautiful and awesome. So, uh, okay, here's where you call down the tongues of fire. <laughs> We're going to pray. We're going to pray for an impartation. Um, here, here's what I would like to do. I would like to target uh, one, one group first. Uh, and it's those that um, we all have the Holy Spirit inside of us. Um, if you're born again, it was actually the Holy Spirit that, that authored that. And uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says, no one can say Jesus is Lord without the Holy Spirit. And so um, this isn't the have and have nots, but I do believe that there's an invitation for more and Pentecost represents that. One of the things that I believe there's a grace that we can all uh, operate in is, is a prayer language, um, is to pray. Uh, in a prayer language. It's, it's very personal between you and the Lord. And I want to start there. I want to pray for people that they would be activated into that grace. Uh, it is something I do daily. And uh, I wanted to start there and then we can just kind of flow and see where we go. But if uh, I'm going to ask you, can we just make this God's living room? You're at home, this family. Uh, we all want more of him and we're going to do this together. But if that's you, if you uh, have not experienced that or just want to activate that, would you stand to your feet? And I personally want to pray for you. Mm. Awesome. Yay, yay, yay. All right. 
cool. Just put your hands out like you're receiving a gift. And if someone's standing up by you, can we just stand around them, just put hands on them? And uh, Holy Spirit, just pray that you would move in a in a fresh way. We're gonna still do the blessing. That faith would be activated, Lord. It's their spirits, Lord. Just pray, Lord, for their spirits. It would bubble, 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 bubble. Just declare the language of heaven, the purified language that this day represents and that Holy Spirit, you would begin to groan through their hearts. We just ask for that activation, Lord, in the name of Jesus. If your hands are on someone, would you just pray for them? And if you're being prayed for, I just encourage you to groan, do something in faith. Just turn that switch on, God. I believe it's a grace for every believer language of heaven to speak and communicate to you. Let's just pray into uh, the Spirit over them.